2 Kings chapter 2 tonight, 2 Kings in the second chapter. And I want to say once again thank you for the music. The music has been outstanding. I hope you don't take it for granted. Well, after hearing this and being in a service like this, it makes you want to suplex a Jehovah's Witness or something out there. And I just, uh, it fires you up. It's, I, 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 you're going to think, well, it didn't do a whole lot for you after you hear the message, but I'm saying it's, it's a whole lot easier to preach after you hear music like that and uh, that's done well and that has heart and that's warm and, and it's just a, a great, great blessing. I hope you don't take it for granted and I hope you don't say, well, this is just the way, way it always is and, uh, because um, it's just not that way in any other place and, uh, and, and I think there are dynamics like that that the Lord allows in, in different places, but there's a great danger in becoming complacent and comfortable and ever taking for granted the blessings of the Lord. And I just want to say thank you. The second thing I, I'm thankful for is that we're having this revival meeting, this uh, spiritual awakening conference here in Wisconsin. Because if we were in Georgia tonight, we might be highly disappointed at the spirituality of some people that may not be at the church service that night. Now, we, fortunately, there's a lot of college students here, and so I assume there's a rule for the college students that you can't be on your phone. And that's one thing that's hard to regulate in other places, but, um, but I'm sure you probably don't care about the game tonight because Green Bay's not playing, so it doesn't matter to you. But uh, much to the chagrin of many of my preacher friends in the Midwest and West, and they're, they're very disgruntled about the game tonight being uh, an entire SEC matchup. But that's just the way it happens when you have the best uh, division and participating. But we don't want to go that route and talk about those things tonight. It's great music tonight, wasn't it? Great blessing. <laughs> and so... Well, my team didn't make it anyway, so it don't really matter. <laughs> Second Kings chapter number two. Let's go ahead and stand together and we'll read this passage of scripture of Elijah, Elisha, Elijah the older, preacher Elisha the younger. And verse number Seven and fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. Elijah asked Elisha, What is it you want? Elisha said, I, I want there to be a double portion of your spirit to be upon me. And Elijah's response to him in verse 10 is, You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I'm taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. I wanna, want us to look at tonight on the way to getting to the blessings of God. The way to getting the blessings of the Lord. 
You know, there is oftentimes in people's mind a great deal of difficulty in getting God's blessings upon our life. But I don't think getting the blessings of God is the difficulty. It's just finding the path that will take us there. Getting the blessings of God. Thank you. Please be seated. Remember looking at this passage before, and Elisha said, I want a double portion, and I thought, I need to pray that. I want what Elijah had. Elijah saw the fire of God come down in his ministry, and that's the kind of man you want to be around, and you begin to see that kind of ministry of Elijah, and you say, that's what I want, God give it to me. And, and then I remember reading verse 10, Elijah saying, oh, here's the formula. You need to see me when I'm taken up from thee. If you see me, it'll happen. If you don't see this departure, it's not going to happen. And I thought, well, that really puts a kink in my desire. Well, how am I going to see some preacher taken up in a whirlwind? This really makes it difficult. This kind of messes up my even wanting to pray about it. But I want to submit, it's not... In what Elisha saw. It's not Elisha seeing Elijah taken up. How is it that Elisha received that double portion of the Spirit of God upon his life and uh, uh, of the, the Spirit that Elijah had and the ministry of miracles and the working of God? How was it that Elisha had that in his life as did Elijah? You say, well... It's because he saw Elijah taken up. Well, I know what it says because I read it. But I don't think it's because of what he saw. At least that's not the key. If that was the key, then we would not have any chance at it. It is important in what we see. Last night I enjoyed hearing some of the testimonies over in the fellowship hall and Thankful for what God's been doing in your lives and to hear the testimonies. I didn't get to stay for all of them. I brought Priscilla. Priscilla just turned four in November and, and, and I'm thankful for those that are, were helping with her. And she came sat on my, standing there in front of me. She said, I can't see. And so I put her on my lap. She said, I still can't see. And that, I think is when Jenna was giving a testimony and I want to say, well, She's vertically challenged. There's not a whole lot I can do, but I, I didn't say that. I was highly engrossed in the testimony of what Jenna was giving. It was a tremendous blessing, and I didn't get to stay around for the rest of the testimonies because my four-year-old said, my bladder's about to burst. I need to go. I don't know where she got that from. Never has she heard me say that. And so we had to go. But seeing was quite important to her. Uh, I remember Thomas over in John chapter 20. The disciples are meeting Thomas after they had met with Jesus there in the upper room. And they told Thomas what all had taken place. They're quite excited. Quite a testimony service took place there in that upper room. And Thomas said, I'll believe it when I see it. 
You know, seeing is important. I hope that you want to see an awakening in your life. I hope you want to see God do the great and mighty things this semester. I hope you want to see God do what you've read about and what you hear preached of yesteryear take place now right here. I hope you can see the vision that pastor has here in this ministry and get a burden and see God do that while you're here. I hope you're, you're not limiting uh, what God wants to do. I hope you want to see those things. But the fact is, in order for Elisha to see what he saw, it was important for him to be where he was. I said, it's important in order for Elisha to see what he saw, it was important for him to be where he was. You know why Thomas didn't see what the other disciples saw? Because he was not where the other disciples were. It's important that we recognize we're just not going to see God do the things that God wants to do just because we want to see it. Elisha was able to see what he saw because he was careful to be exactly where he needed to be. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17. Excuse me, let's go to 19, end of chapter 19. When Elisha comes on the scene, he hears the message from Elijah. That message is presented when Elijah takes that mantle, wraps it around the shoulders of the younger Elisha. He was stating the fact that God wanted to use Elisha. The truth is God did want to use Elisha. The reality is God wants to use you. God wanted to bless Elisha. And the fact is God wants to bless you. But in order for God to use and bless Elisha, he had to respond to that call. And he did respond. We find that uh, in verse 20, he left the oxen after hearing the message in verse 19 from Elijah. He left his oxen. He ran after Elijah. He said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father, my mother, then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, go back again for what have I done to thee? He returned back from Elijah. He took a yoke of oxen. He slew them, boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen. He gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and he went after Elijah and he ministered unto him. And I see Elisha being very deliberate in his response to the message and the call of God upon his life. Listen, you wouldn't be here, most of you, if you were not deliberate in some form or fashion. You had to do something in order to get here with a deliberate purpose in mind. But Elisha, he heard the message. It's important that we receive the message. It's important that we're in tune and that we're sensing what God is wanting us to do, not just to get us here, but what he wants to do this week, what he wants us to do next week, and hear the message. There at uh, our church in Georgia, it's quite a responsive congregation, and I, and I like that. I, 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 we have some 
some uh, black folk in our church, and they come from very responsive churches in their background, and, and uh, uh, they're, they're accustomed to helping the preacher out. And uh, I, I was with uh, one of my men, and, and he uh, grew up in the Atlanta area in one of the black churches. We were talking about uh, the, the interaction. And I was telling him, I was reading about one of these uh, black churches, and the pastor was up there preaching on Jonah. And the preacher was talking about that Jonah swallowed a big old fish, and he was just going to town. He said, Jonah swallowed that fish and there was a lot of flopping going on and, and Jonah got that fish and swallowed it whole. And some woman said, Brother Pastor, it was not Jonah that swallowed the fish. It was the fish that swallowed Jonah. Brother Pastor said, it make no difference. All I know is there was a lot of swallowing going on. <laughs> Maybe our response isn't always in the midst of the preaching. Sometimes I need it, though. I, I preached. Uh, it's so different. It's just so different preaching now. I, and it, it's just I feel like making this transition into pastoring. Here we are three years down the road, and I still feel like I, I struggle uh, in, in the whole uh, preaching aspect. And, but I was preaching a message just the, a few months ago on Aaron and her. Somewhere it changed in the middle of the message. And I was very passionate about Ben and her. <laughs> well, that's what they did. And I thought, well, I'm just digging in. And it was Ben and her the rest of the message. One of the deacons came up to me, he said, Brother Ingram, he said, Pastor, were you watching a movie recently? <laughs> I had no clue. The worst part of it is, it was in my notes, <laughs> Ben and her. <laughs> I'm not going near that passage for a long time. <laughs> Somehow, it got all the way over to Tennessee and Alabama, and I started getting texts. So in case you want to help me out tonight, if there's a need, please feel free. <laughs> You'll not be penalized. But there needs to be a, a response when the preaching goes forth. I think it's, it's helpful, it's therapeutic to exercise coming to an altar. And I hope there's no one here who has the, the mindset that we don't need to come to an altar. An altar is an Old Testament concept and, and we can get right with God where we sit. I, I hope that's not the case here. Someone says, I, I can get right with the Lord in my seat. Well, you can. But the Bible does teach that God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And I suggest that there's a lot more pride to keep us in our seat than there is humility to get us to an altar. But coming to an altar, I recognize there are people today who don't know what to do and why people are coming for it. But sometimes, you know, I, I find myself going to an altar whenever somebody preaches and, 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 and I, I'm telling the Lord what I just heard him say to me. I'm saying, Lord, here's what I heard you say and I want to thank you for speaking to my heart. And Lord, here, I need to align myself and I need to uh, uh, recalibrate my life and, and I need to be made right in this area and I want to ask you to help me. 
It's, it's, it's needful that we respond. And Elisha responded by burning the plow and killing the cow that was in his life. He wanted to be used and, and he recognized if I'm going to go forward and experience the blessings of the Lord, there had to be a deliberate, decisive, on purpose kind of decisions made. And this was not a one-time decision. And sure, he may have uh, had to burn the plow and kill the cow here and he may not have to revisit that, but there's other things. And we find that he communicates to his family and to his friends, here's what God is doing in my heart. Can I remind us that if God's called you to a ministry of communicating the word of God and reaching people, and by the way, that is for every Christian, if we're ever going to be effective, and I believe that one of the reasons why Elisha would be effective as a prophet, as a preacher, thus saith the Lord kind of a man, was because he was not afraid to tell his family and his friends when he first heard the call of God. When God speaks to your heart here, you ought to be on the phone communicating to mom and dad still. And if you can't communicate to your family, here's what God is doing. And how is God going to entrust you to communicate to somebody else? He burned the plows. He killed the cows. He's communicating. Here's what God's doing in my heart. That's why the testimonies are so important. That's why they're important right here with those who know you. And that's why it's such a, a very key aspect of getting to the place of blessing. And then we find that he, end of verse 21, he ministered unto Elijah. He connects himself to serving and being a help and blessing to the man of God. Let me ask you, are there some plows in your life that need to be burned? Is there a cow that needs to be killed? Do you need to to still do away, get something out of your life. I remember going off to Bible college right out of high school, and I didn't have the, the kind of church that many of you have come from, and, and I didn't have the, 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 the help, the discipling, the nurturing, the mentoring that I needed. And so going off to, to Bible college, I was extremely raw. But I just knew, I knew enough to to recognize this was where I was supposed to go. I went off to Ambassador Baptist College, and it was just an hour so from where I, I was living, where I grew up in North Carolina. And I remember looking at the rules and thinking, whatever the rules say, that's what I do. And I remember, we're not supposed to have this, can't have this, can't have that, and I thought, it's not a problem. And I remember there was a lot of things that I, I would get rid of and, and before I left home and just throw things away. But I do remember keeping a very small, I think it was even a shoebox of a few things. It may have been a picture and may have been a cassette tape. I don't even have time to explain to you what a cassette tape may be. I that's a whole different era, but it's something you listen uh, to something on. And, and, and it may have been a few of those things. And I couldn't have them in school and didn't listen to them in school. But in my mind, I knew it's not a lot. But it's underneath my bed. Still a connection. Remember, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel 
the preacher told the king, destroy, kill Agag, destroy all. And what the Bible tells us is that he kept only the things that he thought was vital and important. He killed everything. Saul destroyed everything except. And the question came forth, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Elisha, he burned the plow and he killed the cow. He communicated, here's what God's doing in my heart. And he joined the man of God because a call to preach is a call to prepare. And I have found 25, 27 years later, there's still preparation. Elisha was deliberate, but take your Bible and go to 2 Kings, back to 2 Kings chapter number 2. Elijah's ministry is winding down and in verse number one, it comes to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Verse 4, And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. Verse 7, And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. And actually in verse number 6 is the what gets him to Jordan. And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said the same thing, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. You know, after Elisha responds properly to the call, after he, he takes out of his life what needs to be taken out of, remember Hebrews 12 isn't telling us just to deal with sin, but also waits anything that will hinder us from being prepared and, and getting to that place of blessing so we can see what God would have us to see. He's deliberate about it. But here we find that Elijah, he says to Elisha, God is telling me, here's what I'm to do. Elijah's saying, God has told me I'm to go to Gilgal, from Gilgal over to, uh, to Bethel and to over to Jericho and over to Jordan. Elijah's saying, God is telling me, here's what I've got to do. And you may want to stay put here. You know, God called Pastor Van Gelderen here a number of years ago. And God's given him direction and has given him direction to 
to start a Bible college and, and seminary and, and God's going to continue to give him direction as what he is to do. He's not consulting necessarily with the Elishas as to whether or not you're going to come on board. But the way the college has, has grown and the great advertisement, I think a lot of times for the college is not trying to get people to come. It's just people seeing what God would have them to see and people here doing what God would have them to do and people here being what God would have them to be and others recognizing God is doing something there and God is doing something in Menominee Falls and God is leading and Elijah, God is leading Pastor Van Gelder and Elisha says, as my soul liveth, if you go, I'm going. I want to be a part of that, Elisha saying. We didn't, I didn't burn the plow, kill the cow. I didn't communicate to, to family and friends and I didn't come and minister to uh, the man of God just to get off here. And only was Elisha deliberate. But we see, at least I see a lot of things here, but one of which, if I can maybe put it in one word, we see his dedication. Uh, I think I'd follow Elijah too. I want to say I, I wouldn't be so quick to say I would follow Elijah. If you read chapter 1, you'd find Elijah's a strange bird. That's like saying, I'd like to follow Dr. Jim around for the next several years. You have to be really dedicated to do that. But you're going to see the fire of God. Elijah says, if that's what God's telling you to do, then that's what I want to be a part of. Elijah says to Elisha, you may want to stay put. Elijah, I don't think, is trying to discourage Elisha. I think, if anything, Elijah's trying to keep Elisha from getting discouraged. This is not going to be easy. If you're looking for easy ministry, there's a whole slew of places out there that are trying to, to make church be easy for people to want to come to. I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see God make, God doesn't make salvation necessarily easy. He makes it humanly impossible. That's why we need a Savior. He's made it simple, but simple is not always easy. And Elisha, he is saying, I, I hear you, Elijah. You ever heard, well, you have, I'm sure, but I remember on occasions hearing Dr. Jim promote the college. I thought to myself, he just gave a number of reasons why students shouldn't come to Baptist College of Ministry. That's what Elijah's doing. He's not saying, Elisha, I don't want you to be around. He's not saying, I don't want you to see the fire of God fall in your life but he's trying to get him to see you're not going to do it just because you burned the plow and killed the cow, you communicated to your parents, you passed the interview with the deacons, you're here, and that's not the end of it. 
It's going to require, yes, this is all under the umbrella of faith, but you're going to have to be dedicated to the Lord. And we're going to go from Gilgal, and God's going to tell us what to do next. And then we're going to go to Bethel and over to Jericho and over to Jordan. And Elisha, if you're not up for it, there's no need for you to go down this road. There's no need to get here and to drop out after a couple of years when it gets hard. Well, I just didn't think it was going to get this hard. Well, what did you think? It's hard out there. The way of the transgressor is hard. And helping people who are involved in the way of transgression is going to take some testing so that we can figure out how to get to the way of blessing. Well, I didn't know it was going to be this tough. Well, you ought to be thankful for that. You may not have come. I'm thankful that I still don't know a lot of what is in the future. It's not my business. And I'm not necessarily wanting to know either. All I want to know is what God wants me to know. But I do want to be deliberate and I want to be dedicated to whatever it is that God gives me. Elisha, you may want to stay put. I... I wish I had an Elijah leading me. I want to remind you after Elijah saw the fire of God fall, he got discouraged. He had a complex that no one was doing what he was doing. He's the only one. He's not perfect. And Elisha could have seen, and he had to have seen, the imperfections of Elijah. Do you know what that can lead to? That can lead to easily getting offended. I believe one of the reasons many, so many, have heard the call, responded to the call, enlisted in preparation for ministry, but never make it. And one of the reasons, too, before I finish that, one of the reasons, if you, in case some of you wonder, what's the importance of finishing four years of college or, or whatever number of years? What's the importance of that? Well, the importance of it, in part, is to show that you can start and finish something. But the reason I believe so many have, have spent hours and months and years and thousands of dollars and never have even made it into ministry. Some have even dropped out of church altogether is because they got offended. Their Elijah wasn't what they thought. How many of you are preparing for full-time ministry? Would you raise your hand? Can I tell you one of the best ways that you can prepare is to understand the concept that you cannot afford to be offended? Here's what I have learned in the last few years. And that is there's always a bigger picture. I remember, I remember being here and thinking, well, I wish Pastor would just just tell it like it is and just lay it out there. But now I realize, I hate that it's taken me this long to really realize. I got to a point where I trusted him, but now I really realize there's a bigger picture. 
And pastor cannot always explain the bigger picture. And there are times that even if he did, we still wouldn't understand it. I've said to our staff, there will be people who will be offended at me in the congregation, but you as staff, you cannot afford to get offended. You can't afford it. You know, it certainly would cut down on the drama in our churches if people recognize they can't afford to get offended. I, I've had, this is my third year, this is the third year in which we've had a theme for the church, a yearly theme, and I don't always feel I have to have a theme. If it just, it's not there, we're just not going to do it. But I've had, we've had a theme, and we're getting ready to unveil the theme for this upcoming year, this coming Sunday, and wrestling through the staff was wondering, especially because they're having to work on all the things that go with it, the printing of things, and they're asking, what's the thing going to be? I mean, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm months past the deadline which they need for that. They said, I said, I don't know, I just don't know, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I know, but, but to, to get it succinct so you can put it on a calendar and put it on a coffee mug, you know, it just really changes things. So when I began to tell them, I recognized they were not really listening to me anyway because it just they wanted the shortened version. So they kept coming back and they said, Pastor, are you going to tell us what, what it, what's the thing going to be? I said, be honest with you. The thing that keeps rolling around in my mind is this. Save the drama for your mama. <laughs> no one voted yes, and so... I said we would have revival if people just keep the drama at home. You know where that drama comes from? Just getting easily offended. Would you hold your place here and go over to Matthew chapter 15? Maybe this will help. I, I, I know the passage in 2 Kings doesn't say this, but there is no doubt that Elisha saw some of these things in the life of Elijah. But I want us to see it from this perspective. In Matthew 15 and verse number 22, we find Jesus trying to remain hidden, but somehow there's a Canaanite woman who hears where he is and she comes to him because she has a need. And notice verse 22, Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. And here's the reason. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And Jesus responds right away. No, look at verse 23. He answered her not a word. And here's this Jew, the Lord Jesus, and then we have Gentiles. And, but this woman is not a Jew or Gentile. She's a Canaanite. This woman is pagan. She's a descendant of the ancient enemies. She has no claim to God's covenant. And she's not even welcomed by most Jews. But Jesus, we understand, is not, is not a typical Jew. He had come to bring salvation to every race and every gender. And he evidenced, evidenced on other occasions that he was delighted to help people such as this. And that's what makes this response of Jesus so surprising or the lack of response. But this woman is desperate. And she has real anguish because her daughter is extremely sick. 
And so she approaches and son of David, she's putting herself on Jewish ground when she says that. And she's revealing her faith in him. In verse 23, Jesus ignores her. And, and I believe she's continuing because then the disciples' attention is acquired and the disciples say, uh, seem to be impatient with her persistent following and crying out. And their recommendation was, send her away. Probably suggesting that Jesus give her what she wants and get rid of her. But verse 24, Jesus' response is this. I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know, Jesus' response, it appears blatantly racial. He's saying, I'm only here to help my own race, not yours. And that's why, again, his response is seemingly getting worse. So in verse 25, undeterred, this woman, she chooses to literally worship the Lord Jesus. She bows herself. Not that she's saying some emotional moving song. That's not worship. And but she entreats him, she pleads with him as if there's a last second part and, and she's saying, Lord, help me. And at this point, there's no question that Jesus is going to show pity and meet her need. But that's not what happens. Notice in verse 26, Jesus answered and said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. Now she has to make a choice. She could have chose to lose respect for Jesus and she could have concluded he's a fake, he's a phony, but instead she hangs in there and she issues a response that finally it turns the story around. And understand, I hope you understand, Jesus is not playing games with her. He's not trying to make it more difficult. Instead, he's trying to draw out of her a growing response of faith. And so her response is in verse uh, uh, 27, she, she says to him, truth, Lord. She's agreeing. She says, yet the dogs eat at, of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. You know, she's saying it is true. The Gentiles do not sit as children at the table and eat bread, but even the pet dogs under the table do eat some crumbs. And she's displaying her faith. She's identifying herself as a dog and she admits that his insult was true. And so verse 28, Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Now let me ask you, what would you have done in her situation? Would you have hung in there as long as she did? Would you have been offended and told him to forget it? And which time? After being ignored at the beginning? Maybe after being complained about for simply trying to get your daughter some needed attention? Would you have given up after the seemingly racial slur or would you actually make it to that canine insult? How did this woman hang in there until the end? She chose not to get offended. What would she have gained if she, had she gotten offended? What would she have gained? Maybe she would have gained some satisfaction 
The Canaanite woman telling a Jew off. Maybe that's the satisfaction she would have got. But in order to see what you really gain in this situation, you have to subtract your loss. What does she stand to lose if she gets offended? Well, what does she stand to lose? The healing of her daughter. Maybe she would have been satisfied to have made wrong, right, and to execute justice from her perspective. But what she would have lost would have been far greater. And it would have been no gain. Listen, I tell our church family, they have an imperfect pastor. They will have reasons to be offended, but the fact is they can't afford to be offended. Not if you have children at stake. Not if you have a family at stake. Not if you have a life that you want to be blessed that is at stake. You can't afford it. Listen, there are times in which it seems understandable or justifiable for some children to not necessarily follow mom and dad when mom and dad have made some poor decisions or they're not right in this area or they're not showing spirituality or they're just blatantly living carnal lives or even they may not even be saved. And it seems legitimate at times for there to be mm, a skirting around and obeying and honoring on the big areas but not in every area. I want to tell you, when you apply the gain-loss principle, you're going to lose more than you gain. You can't afford to get offended. A spouse can't afford to get offended with the other. You can't afford to get offended with the pastor. You can't afford to get offended with one of your professors. You can't afford to get to become offended, to be offended by one of those uh, staff members that's investing and, and has been a part of this discipling, nurturing, mentoring, and this accountability process. You can't afford to be offended. I want to say, Elisha, he was able to experience the blessings of God and he was able to get to the place of blessing. Not only because he was deliberate in the decisions he made. Not only because he was not, you know, just, just trying to, if the crowd does it, burns the plow, kills the cow, I'll do it as well. If the crowd gives testimony, I will as well. And that wasn't Elisha. As far as we see, no one else is doing it. Elisha's deliberate in this matter. And then he's dedicated. He's going to follow the man of God. There's a bigger picture. I, I tried to, 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 to help, and it's not from a selfish, no, no, no pastor and no parent and, and, and anyone for that matter who's trying to truly help, no, no discipler uh, uh, is going to try to, to be selfish in this area. And I say, it is not about honoring me because it's me, it's about the fact of trying to get the blessings of God upon your life. You can't afford to get offended. And there is a bigger picture. And so some, Sometimes, uh, you know, and just last week, one of the staff members said, I understand, Pastor, there's a bigger picture, and, 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 and you know what it is. I'm thinking, there are times I don't know what the bigger picture is. I don't. But I just know this. I've got to respond the right way to the Lord. I've got to respond the right way to others. And, 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 and on both sides, people can have reasons which would justify their being offended. The question is not, 
Do you have a right to be offended? That's not the question. Don't look at it that way. The question is, can you afford to be offended? And Elisha could not afford to be offended at Elijah's peculiarities. He could not afford to be offended if Elijah had made some insecure decisions. And I don't know if it was insecurity, but when he was discouraged by the, uh, the, the threat and the hounding from Jezebel and the different things, Elisha could not be afforded. He could not personally afford it, and neither can you. You want to see what Elisha saw? You have to be where he was. And in order for us to see the hand of God and the moving of God and the blessings of God today, getting the blessings of God is not what is a challenge. Getting to the place where we can get the blessings of God. Would you pray with me please? Lord, as you're continuing to nurture the student body and cultivate their faith in you, Lord, help us not to settle with shortcuts. Lord, I, I have thought at times that you allow seemingly for some, for some to compromise in certain areas and seem, seemingly still be successful. Lord, I understand Bible truth and I understand that what may be seen on the outside is not reality and there are no shortcuts. We cannot take shortcuts. Not from the path that you have prescribed. We can't take shortcuts to Revival blessing. It always requires that we humble ourselves. It always requires that we trust you and obey. And I pray that you would help. If there's someone who's been offended, who have looked at someone else and has been stopped in their tracks because they've looked and seeing the something that maybe doesn't look right or does not appeal and, and has hurt or just calls one to draw back. I pray that you'd help them to see we can't afford to be offended. Not with the blessings of God at stake. Maybe there's still some definite decisions that need to be made. Would you help there's some plows and cows that need to be attended to and maybe there's some testifying that needs to be made. Help us all to sign up for the testing of our faith so we can get to the place of blessing and continual blessing of God within our life. And As Brother Van said tonight, it is sweet to trust you just to take you at your word and Lord, we want to thank you for that. Pastor Vane.